Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from George Mason University School of Business. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Company's Mark Haas, uh, Association for Enterprise Growth, Steve Robbins, Lurch Early and Brewer, Richard Levick, Levick Communications, Karina Bedore, Colliers, and John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching. John, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Sure. Our first guest is Matt Wixon, president of Bookstore Movers. Then we'll talk with Nick Gehrig, co-managing partner of Redmond, Peyton, and Braswell. Our third guest is Adam Posen, president of Peterson Institute for International Economics. And our last guest is Jeff Gallagher, the CEO of the Virginia Biotechnology Association. Let's get to know Matt Wixon, president of Bookstore Movers. Matt, what is Bookstore Movers? What are you guys doing? We're a residential and commercial movement company. Uh-huh. And uh, where are you from originally? Arlington, Virginia. How many brothers and sisters? I've got one younger brother. One younger brother, uh-huh. And tell us about the difference between the two of you guys when you were kids. Sure. Uh, I was a bookish, gentle child, and he was a relentless gadfly. You were a bo- Give me that again. You were a bookish, gentle child, huh? Uh-huh. Steve, uh, what kind of questions you got there? In your uh, business, Matt, how many uh, employees do you have? We have about 90. And you said you were a bookish, gentle child. So how do you go from uh, uh, being a bookish child to running a company of 90? And what did you learn from the books? Sure. Uh, The books, I think, kindled in me a sense of curiosity and and empathy. And I used that to those to get to know all of my employees, to try and figure out what motivates them, to make sure they understand um, that I don't just see them as cogs in our system, uh, but I you know, genuinely care about mm-hmm. uh, how they Richard, what do you think? Richard? So, Matt, you talked about a lot about being a, a bookish uh, child. What did you read as a kid, and how did you share that information? Sure. I read all sorts of things, westerns, adventure books, mysteries, um, certainly some history as well. Um, and how did I? How'd you, yeah, who did you share them with? Um, I talked to my uncles about it a lot. Uh, my parents as well. Uh, my parents sort of had a rule that they would read to me anytime I asked. So sometimes I'd ask them to read the same book to me over the All right, so what's the, what's the effect of your parents willing to read to you as a young kid? You're talking to, uh, talking to everybody, your uncles, and about the books you're reading. What's that have to do with your building this business? Um, I think that it comes down to problem solving yeah and collaboration well let yeah. me ask you a question do you uh, do you have a lot of turnover in your company very little why do you have little turnover is it because of the collaborative environment the I fact that, that you talk to everybody to inviting folks to join in sort of a daily innovation and sort of recreation of our company culture and this um, is a residential moving company you're bringing these philosophies to that's fascinating karina age 8 to 14 matt what was probably your favorite book probably the collected stories of sherlock holmes why is that? I enjoyed um, the process of working, the investigation itself, and ultimately the generally satisfying conclusion. The problem solving. How do you kind of work that into your business today? Um, I mean, I feel like any good leader had, you know, shares roles with a, a detective and, uh, you know, has to like, you know, sometimes face like a somewhat seemingly intractable puzzle and has to break it down into understandable pieces. So you get a lot of joy af- out of solving mysteries and yeah, solving absolutely. puzzles at work. Yeah. Makes sense in a residential moving company. Hmm, that's fascinating. Mark? If you had time to write a book right now, what would that book be? I would love to try to do a, a locked room mystery um, and come up with something, uh, you know, a solution to a, a murder mystery that, you know, is somehow unprecedented. I don't think I'd do it particularly well, though. Uh-huh. How do you think the philosophy and the idea behind that relates to how you run your company? Um, in terms of the daily innovation part, we, you know, we're always trying to come up with something new, some little way that we can improve a system. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on for a second. You're running a residential moving company, and you're talking about every day you're trying to come up with – what kind of innovations is there in a moving company? Well, we've, uh, 
we built our own software system that sort of coordinates our scheduling and our estimates and all of our different crews because one of the big problems we face is that we have 20 different crews out all throughout the city and we have to stay in touch. Do you involve your crews in these innovations? Yeah, we have regular meetings. But they're just moving guys. I think that's why we hold on to our people is because we see them as more than more than just people that lift heavy stuff. So you're telling me that you're sitting down with your guys. What other kinds of innovations are you causing? What else? What else you like? What else do you involve well, your team in? Some some things are simple, like trying to figure out, you know, bonus bonuses uh, that will sort of best keep people energized. But a lot of it comes down to constantly improving our training and our mentoring, because uh, because new guys don't naturally know the right way to do things, and it can be a dangerous profession. So the, the, this training and this mentoring, who, who's providing the training and the mentoring? We have uh, a few senior crew chiefs who have a lot of experience and have some proficiency. In Why would they want to bother doing that? Um, I think you get a sense of satisfaction when you get to see someone mature into leadership. And so I think they enjoy helping folks along. Ah, Something John. I enjoy, too. Uh-huh, John. So as a kid, who was your first mentor? Oh, um, strange enough, it's probably my piano teacher, Mrs. Roussard. Um, but not because she actually taught me piano. Um, in fact, I would just go there every day and she'd tell me stories. And then right at the end of the hour, I'd play a few scales and she'd give me some candy and I'd go home. Why was she so influential? Uh, she was a great storyteller. So she, what, what she, from her shows up at work every day? Um... I think I, I realized that I need to keep people interested, whether it's at, at our meetings or when it comes down to memos. It's very easy for all those things to get lost and all the noise. Uh, so I try to keep our people entertained and make things actually seem germane to them. So when were you, as a kid, when did you first try to keep people interested or entertained? I'm not entirely sure. I think uh, I was... It was very hard for me to find a space where I felt comfortable doing that. So maybe it was around uh, at my grandparents' farm where I was surrounded by my cousins and I felt like I was in a safe space. And, and how did that show up? What showed up? I think just when I was around people, I was very comfortable. I could uh, finally talk about whatever crazy ideas I had or whatever book I read. Isn't that the way you run the business? It is. It is now. But you, it so you're telling me. It sounds to me like you took you. you you've, de- you've developed a team that you feel safe with. Yeah. Well, That's I, not typical of business environment, let alone a residential moving company. Yeah, we're unusual. Why? Uh, some of that comes down to just our origins. It's a weird concept for a moving company, a company that was founded to save up money to buy a little independent used bookstore, and so we, from the very beginning, we attracted different sorts of employees, people that were thrilled by that idea or people that were similarly, you know, bibliophiles. Um, and you're thinking that the behavior that began to exhibit with you and your cousins on the farm as you began to feel comfortable with the group and safe with the group is the same kind of stuff that's coming out nowadays? Yeah, I work really hard to make our people feel like it's a, a place where they can share any idea of however crazy it is, any thoughts they have of you know, improving the company, treating our employees better, our clients better. Wait a minute, but aren't you the boss? You could be wrong. Oh, yeah, I'm wrong all the time. Doesn't that feel bad? Don't you feel threatened or angry? No, I, uh, like, I have a uh, 16-month-year-old son, and so, uh, yeah, like, I'm, uh, I'm aware that I'm wrong all the time, because I have, I have no idea what I'm doing with him, and I just, you know, you learn as you go. What's the similarity between being a dad and being a CEO? Um, Wow. Um, Feeling overwhelmed at times. Uh, But also, I think maybe just the... um, God, I feel like for both of them, I share like a rapturous fatigue. Uh Who's got the right next question? How much do you read to your son? I read to him as much as as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, His mood, he's a somewhat capricious child. I think all kids are at that age. So I never know what he'll want to read and sometimes we read the same book Karina what do you got over, Karina what, what happened you? to the dream of buying the uh, used bookstore we just bought it about a month ago congrats yeah yeah it's exciting Stephen um, Matt when you were a kid did you have a lot of friends I did I did um, 
but I probably still love my books more. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though you loved your books more, it sounds like from all the things we've heard that uh, you actually have um, the tendency to be a real leader. Wouldn't you agree? I do, although I, I feel like somehow it came to me late in life. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounded to me like you had to feel safe with the people you're hanging around and then you're comfortable voicing your opinion mm-hmm. and really causing an environment to occur. You know, and uh, w- w- what's the website address of this organization known as Bookstore Movers? Bookstoremovers.com. Is, by the way, is there a website for the new bookstore that you purchased? Yes, that's uh, Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill Books-DC.com. Let me have that one more time. Capitol Hill Books-DC.com. Because there's another Capitol Hill Books in Denver. And the, and the bookstore, and the, and the moving company's website is? Bookstoremovers.com. We've been speaking with Matt Wilson, Wixon, who's the president of Bookstore Movers here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders, and we'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? I'm Amy Kress. I'm uh, the Senior Director of Marketing and Communications for Easter Seals, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So what are you supposed to be doing in your job as Senior Director of Marketing Communications of Easter Seals, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia? Making sure that everybody knows about the services available to the community. And Mm -hmm. uh, we touch every department, every uh, uh, Mm -hmm. program, and uh, spreading the word. What, What do you really enjoy about your job? I enjoy managing a team. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So uh, developing talent, uh, cultivating new leaders, and uh, the most satisfying thing is when uh, someone that I have managed goes on to uh, greater and better things. Wait a second. So you're telling me on one hand the function you're supposed to perform is the communication stuff, but what you really enjoy is developing the team, and you like it when you develop somebody and they leave? Yeah, it's, it's a, a pay-it-forward mentality, I uh-huh. guess. you have any kids? I do. I have 10-year-old twins. Ten-year-old twins. What's the, what's the similarity between being a mom and being the senior director of marketing communications at Easter Seals? So management, like parenting, is not one size fits all. What are you so, talking about? Well, my kids couldn't be more different from each other, even though Let's they're see, twins. You, you have twins, so you have a boy and a, a girl. A boy and a girl, yeah. Uh, okay, keep on going. The similarity so, and differences. So yeah, yeah just like uh, you know, same rules, same structure, same environment, uh, but my kids respond differently to different uh, parenting tactics. So what's that have to do with with helping mentor the team and build the team at Easter Seals? So one of the first things I do when someone starts with my team is I want to know where they want to be in five years and how I can help them get there. And uh, different people respond to different carrots and sticks when it comes to management. How you give feedback, how you respond to them. It sounds like you're the master mother at home as well as at work. What's the website address for Easter Seals, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia? Eseal.org. E-S-E-A-L. Org. We've been speaking with Amy Kress, Senior Director of Marketing Communications of Easter Steels, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And your name and organization is? Yeah, my name's Chris Tully. My business is called Sales Acceleration. And what are you guys doing, Chris? We provide outsourced sales leadership services to small and mid-sized businesses. Uh-huh. T- tell me, how young were you when this sales thing or when this personality trait showed up, to you, showed up 8 to 14-ish in you as a kid? I think it probably relates to my experience as a competitive swimmer growing up. I was never the fastest kid, but I was always the kid that could work with other people to help figure out who was going to swim which stroke so the team could win. All right. Now, what's that have to do with the sales thing that you're doing? It has everything to do with sales. I think that for many businesses, the challenge is figuring out what's the best thing for each person to do, and then how do you get them to do that thing so the business succeeds. And give me the, how's that, how's that go back to the swimming stuff you did? Well, I think, you know, if, if you're a swimmer, you got a choice. You can either swim your stroke and be an individual contributor, or you can be part of a team. You can be on the relay team or a variety of other, other uh, constructs in the team. And so what, what I figured out as I got older, my ability to compete as an individual contributor became tougher and tougher. But I found out that if we could collaborate together, if me and the three other guys I was close to could swim together, we could win almost all the time. So you're telling me that you're not just helping tune up, and I could be mistaken, that you're not just helping tune up the salespeople, you're helping the management tune up their management as well. Am I that, right about wrong about that's, that? That's exactly right. I started this business because I wanted to take what I'd learned over 30 years of leading sales organizations to help a group of people that would really benefit from proven sales strategies. And for me, it's really all about helping other people get what they want. 
Huh. So it's interesting. So it's helping the salespeople be more successful and also helping the management be more effective. Am I correct about That's that? That's exactly right. What's the website address of your organization? It's salesacceleration.com. Let me have that one more time. Salesacceleration.com. We've been taking with Chris Tully, president of Sales Acceleration here on Executive Leaders Radio, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce Nick Gehrig, who is the co-managing partner of an organization known as Redmond, Payton, and Braswell. What is Redmond, Payton, and Braswell? Uh, we're a general practice law firm in Alexandria. Uh-huh. 17 attorneys. Uh-huh. Where are you from originally? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How many brothers and sisters? I have one older brother. Uh-huh. And what were you like 8 to 14 years old? I th- I'd consider myself an introvert, uh, shy, um, but... What kind of sports did you play? Soccer. Uh-huh. What was your role on the team? I was a fullback. Uh-huh. T- what's that tell us about your personality? Well, I guess I'm defensive-oriented, um, and I wasn't the best on the team, technically, but I strive myself to be at the right place at the right time and anticipate where the, the offense was going. So how does that help you side. build a, a legal practice? What's, what's that personality trait have to do with building a legal practice? I think from just about everything that we do, because the legal practice is an adversarial system, although I hope it kind of shouldn't be, but um, is to just try to anticipate what the opponent is going to do and uh, try to do the best that you huh. can to put your client in the best so position. So you, re- you really see a, a parallel between you know your personality with the soccer and what you're doing nowadays? Or am I making that up? Yeah. All right, cool. Steven? Um, yeah, Nick, as a, um, as a kid from Pittsburgh, tell me, uh, what kind of activities did you undertake that really help you now being a managing partner of a law firm? Well, I'd say the, the sports def- definitely did help. Um, other than sports. Other than sports. I, I, I was involved in a, uh, in a program, National History Day, and, and which what, I... Uh, what was your role in that? What was that? Uh, I conducted some of the research and interviewed one of the... One of our projects was the, uh, the integration of, of the Little Rock High School. Uh-huh. Um, Richard? Little Rock Nine. Richard? So you described a childhood, Nick, where you, uh, you talk about staying close to home, being an introvert. Talk more about the Little Rock Nine. Is that the first experience you had with uh, the broader world? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say to, to many extents. I mean, uh, where I grew up, it was predominantly, it wasn't very diverse. Um, but to see that there were other people that had gone through struggles just to do things that I kind of took for granted, and to listen to their stories and, and hear them and, and learn from them. I why think would, that, why that would you bother listening to that stuff? Well, everybody has a different experience, and I think that you can learn from that experience, and that betters who you are as a person. Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that uh, you were interested in folks that may have been um, disadvantaged as opposed to uh, who had the nicer car in the neighborhood? Well, obviously everybody wants to take a look at the nicer car in the neighborhood. and Uh-huh. You know, think about it, but it, it, it's hard not to to think about the things that that I took for granted and realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't be aspiring uh-huh. as much to those and, and think about these other John, people. John, what are you struggling. thinking? Yeah, besides your parents, uh, when you were a kid, who was the most important influence on you? Uh, family friend Ron Spinelli. What uh, was what's special about Ron? Ron taught me how to play golf. I think what was remarkable about Ron is that he had a passion for golf. And even though he had MS, which was degenerating, uh, you know, it was, it's a degenerative disease, and he couldn't walk without assistance, and he couldn't even drive uh, using his feet, he still had the tenacity to get up and go out and play golf every day and even teach me how to do it. So, so how, how, how's that affecting you? How's that affecting you nowadays? I'd say that anytime you, you meet an obstacle, uh, you know, if you have the passion and the drive to get over it, uh-huh. and you continue to do it, you continue to get up uh-huh. and do those things that you love. Oh, I told you about how does that? Mm-hmm. How's that show up today at Redmond Payton and Braswell? Well, I've been at the same firm my whole career, um, so I obviously like the people that I'm with, and I respect and love them. Um, and I love what I do because I like helping people. I like listening wait, to. Wait, 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 wait a second. You, you, awesome. you respect and love them. This is a law firm. And you, it says your co-managing partner or something. You're talking about love at work in a law firm? Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess we're a little unusual to some extent now. Uh, one of the, the middle name, Peyton, uh, is actually the middle name of, of my uh, daughter, uh, mm-hmm. my, my first daughter, my mm-hmm. firstborn daughter. So that's just how close we are. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, even though we're an independent collection of lawyers, I, I think we just mm-hmm. really... Uh, 
yeah, appreciate each pretty other. bonded. John? Yeah, if you could, or if Ron Spinelli was alive today, what would you tell him? I had to <laughs> I tell him I wish that I had kept trying to play golf because I'm horrible at it, and if he were still around, maybe he could... He could Karina? He could what are you thinking? Uh, but yeah. I'd tell him thank you. Karina? Tell me what mom and dad did. Uh, my father was an investment banker, a CPA. Um, he was kind of more of an angel investor. He was CFO of... Um, the Pittsburgh Brewing Company and a couple other companies like that. Mom. My mom uh, stayed home with us until I was about five, and then she went back to school to get a degree in, uh, I'm sorry, a master's in psychology and opened up a uh, private practice. Which one like Which one are you more like? Are you more like? I think I get the the empathy, the intuition, and, um, and listening skills from my mother and some of some more of the business sense from my father. And how do those two show up today as a parent and as a co-manager, managing director? I think those are the skills that, you know, and also in the practice of law just in general, I think those are the skills that are vital. Mark? If you had the time to engage in, in some activity uh, that reflected what matters to you most, what would that be? Someday, someday when my kids are grown and I can, I can do it, I, I would like to take on an innocence project activity try to get somebody who's been wrongfully convicted out of jail okay, and well, how, do, how does that make you feel mm -hmm. as far as uh you know being yeah why would you bother doing that why would i bother doing that well <coughs> it's a wrong uh, there's so many there's so many injustices and that's just one of them um but there are so many people who are behind <coughs> bars for any number of reasons and their story hasn't been told primarily because the, the system the balance the, the need for money to be able to uh to defend somebody is too great mm -hmm. for most people to bear so that's why a lot of people end up mm -hmm. getting steven so nick as a managing partner of a law firm i'm interested in that because i also serve in a similar role what is it about you and what is it about your dna that makes people look at you and say i want this guy to be the managing partner of our law firm asked myself that question at, at times I think I think it's my ability to to strive to, to listen to everybody and take everything everybody into account and in, in what we're doing it doesn't matter what what your role is uh, as long as you're there uh, you've got a voice and your voice is equal mm -hmm. and um, just I may not always succeed but to try to put mm -hmm. all those Richard what else are you thinking you know, Nick, I'm so impressed with the inspiration of your youth. Just wondering a favorite quote that you live with today. Uh, my favorite quote, and it has been for some time, is every man that I meet, and it should really be every person that I meet, I think that that's something that should change with a quote. But the quote as it is, is every man that I meet is in some way my superior, and in that I can learn from him. And I think that's very true. Why? Why is that so important to you? Because everybody brings something different to the table. We all have different experiences, different perspectives. And what I learned just back from talking to uh, in, in the Little Rock Nine project was that, you know, everybody approaches things differently and there's value there. There's value to, to, to all of those perspectives. It sounds like it's also one of the reasons you appreciate Ron Spinelli. Am I correct about that? Yes, yes. His passion and his tenacity and, and, and just how he was different, but, but he... He made me value something and see how much he valued it and how to keep going. So you try to find something in everybody that you can learn from and that you can respect. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I bet you keep your clients a long time too, don't you? Because you're really caring. What's the website address of this organization? Our website is rpb-law.com. Let me have that one more time. rpb-law.com. We've been speaking with your name again? Nick Garrick. And your, what, what's your title there? co-managing partner of Redmond, Peyton, and Braswell. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Want help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, 
help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh- what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, w- what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure, I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on in one end of our business. And at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your Business Spotlight. And your name is? Mark Isaacson. And Mark, what organization are you with? Uh, IQU Health. And what, what makes IQU Health special? What do you guys do special? We are the folks that are taking the traditional healthcare system of the 20th century and moving to the 21st century by doing personalization for people and scaling personalization for people. So you're telling me that aside from going to the doc to get traditional medicine, I can come to this site and your site's going to help me understand how what kinds of stuff will help me. Yes, we have a cloud-based system that allows an individual to come in and do an assessment which is, is, is the ability to scale personalization for the first time. And then we include labs and genomics as well. So ultimately, if we have 330 million people in the U.S., we have 330 million unique, one-of-a-kind uh, recommendations and guidance. So as opposed to taking an aspirin and having the same effect on everybody, the truth is it doesn't. It does not because everyone's got unique biochemistry and unique genes, and, and our core healthcare system is really built around one size fits all managing symptoms and that's and and the way it's going to work in the future is everyone is unique and everyone needs their unique one of a kind uh, so you're helping support. you're helping me understand what makes me unique and then how different kinds of stuff can affect me to help solve whatever is going wrong with me that is a hundred percent correct and you're 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 running this is a business affiliated with um, the pharmacy that's right across from the National Institute of Health which has been in business 50 years and you've assembled a whole mess of advisors around this what's that website address again so the website is iqyouhealth.com let me have that one more time iqyouhealth.com and we've been speaking with Mark Isaacson who is the what title do you have CEO of IQ Health thank you very much We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce to Adam Posen, who's the president of the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Adam, what is the Peterson Institute for International Economics? It's a small nonprofit organization that tries to improve economic policy for the U.S. and the global world. We use evidence to try to persuade the public and officials of the right things to do. Uh-huh. Uh, how large or how small is this organization? 65 full-time employees, another 12 or 15 part-time, and a $12 million budget. Please contribute. Uh-huh. Why, why are you doing this? It matters a great deal to keep people employed, keep people free from excessive government interference, and keep people's potential capable of being fulfilled, and good economic policy can do all that. What's good economic policy? What's that mean? 
Good economic policy is not always knowing the right thing, but avoiding the wrong things and trying to be evidence-based and change policies when you know things are not working. All right. It sounds to me like you like probing for the truth. How young were you when truth became important to you? And Give me an example. My parents were both physical scientists, and so I heard a lot from them about the idea that you have a lot of power in a good way if you understand the world, but you can't pretend that the world is the way you want it just because you want it to be. You have to look at the facts. And that started with me just figuring out how to do even little simple tasks at home. Uh, like what? Oh, like uh, bailing out the basement when the uh, washing machine flooded or uh, showing up in science class and when the teacher was telling the kids to write whatever they want, saying, no, you can't write negative numbers for density. That doesn't make any sense. So th it's all about the truth for you. Mark? What uh, character or principle is important to you? I think it's about engagement with the substance and intellectual honesty. In my narrow piece of the world, those are the linchpins. How, how young were you when that became important? Give, a, give an example. When I was in high school, I was taking a course on European history that affected me a lot, and I was asked to do a paper about a French revolutionary figure who wanted to get things done, and I was trying to be very objective about what he thought he was doing versus what he actually did. Mm -hmm. Richard? Adam, you speak about a, a great deal about the truth and how important that is to you. We're at a time where truth is under challenge like no other time in our lifetime. What gives you the strength? What from your childhood gives you the courage every day to march forward? The courage has to be partly motivated by indignation that people deny facts, and it partly has to be motivated by excitement when you actually feel you understand something and have reason for it. And then most of all, it has to be because you feel the truth is in some sense useful. But you got to admit that there's a lot of frustration today because people simply don't get listened to, experts get ignored, or evidence gets overturned. Uh -huh. Stephen? Adam, what kind of things did you do and did you enjoy doing when you were a uh, young kid? I did a little bit of tennis and swimming, but my main things were reading, talking about it with my parents, and then sort of make-believe with young friends on like Star Trek or World War II movies, things like that. And... When you say make-believe, um, how does that translate into what you do today, especially since you're such a seeker of the truth? <laughs> well, it, a lot of things, as it would be for any young kid, then is the sense of mission. If you think about Star Wars, it's all about the mission. And that's what I try to convey to my employees and colleagues, and that's, I think, what sets us apart. Mm -hmm. Karina? Who are some of the influences other than your parents from your childhood that you bring into your adulthood? I think there were people around me in public life. I grew up outside Boston, and there were people like the former Congressman Barney Frank, who was a very big example. There were people who, um, at public television in the local area who were producing really exciting shows. Um, it was even Julia Child. She was a local Cambridge figure. And I lived next door, and you could see someone who was putting themselves out there and being results-oriented and being open. What about what influence do they bring that you carry into your adulthood and your into your role today? That it is very important to be authentic in, uh, but authenticity isn't just about blurting out whatever you say. It's also partly hard work, checking your facts, being accurate. John, mm -hmm. uh, Adam, earlier we were talking before the show, uh, you uh, made fun of yourself several times. How young were you when you realized that uh, making fun of yourself was a great uh, thing to do? I think I was pretty self-important well through high school, but there was a radical shift at the end of high school, and so since then I've been a third-rate stand-up And so comic. what prompted that shift? Um, I like to think of it as maturing. Uh, in the green room, you spoke about the idea that did I consider myself different from other kids, and I think I did a lot when I was very young, and that was totally mistaken, and I got over it. John? How does that show up today at the uh, Peterson Institute for International Economics? I think it shows up by the idea that everybody's there has subject to very high standards, but as long as anybody meets that standard from whatever background, whatever their personality, whatever their point of view, then I want them to succeed. And so it's, it's very open, it's very demanding, but it's totally up to the people to make the most of it. Mark, what do you think? Well, you know, principle and mission are very important at the Peterson Institute. Uh, can you give me an example where you something you did that stood on those principles you're really proud of? I'll give you two. Uh, right now, we're dealing with the trade wars that President Trump and various people in both parties want to have. 
and even though it makes us unpopular, we're out there talking about what this really will cost in terms of people's jobs and hot, more expensive objects and not pretending. Another example was we get funding from some global corporations and we stand up to them. So there was one major company that wanted to keep it illegal for the U.S. to export natural gas because it was essentially a subsidy to them. And we said, no, we're going to publish and explain why this is a bad idea, just like it would be restricting exports of pork or cars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we faced the risk they would just pull their funding, and we just did it anyway. So how, how young were you when this courage began to show up, 8 to 14? Well, well, give us an well, example. Well, I, I think between 8 to 14, it was more foolhardy or arrogant courage, but that was good because I was willing to show off new ideas. And so one of the things I did right through grad school was tend to write stuff with different methods or different conclusions than a lot of academics like. Uh-huh. So you, you enjoy the intellectual uh, discourse. I do, but I and a lot of my colleagues are people who don't really enjoy a lot of things that go with being in the academy. The academy is a lot about status-seeking. The academy is a lot about being clever for its own sake. The academy has a lot of, I mean, there are brilliant, brilliant people there, but it has a lot of competitive aspects that we don't like. Huh. Richard, what do you think? What else do uh, you think? Adam, earlier you mentioned your love of science fiction as a child, particularly Star Trek and Star Wars. So much of that science fiction comes out of the 50s when it was necessary to send messages through uh, science fiction. What was your favorite Star Trek or uh, Star Wars episode and why? What was the message that you were picking up? I think that's a great observation. I think one of the wonderful things about Star Trek, both the original and later, were its messages about inclusion and finding new new places and being science-based. I particularly loved, as a young child, one called The Conscience of the King, which was uh, Kirk doing his best Shakespearean Hamlet thing, but trying not to overstep uh, interfering with another culture, but standing up for what he thought was right. Mm -hmm. Stephen, Karina, what are you guys thinking? You know, Adam, um, listening to you, I, it, it sounds like you spent a large part of your life trying to either prove that something is right or prove that something is wrong. And I'm curious, when you were young, um, and I, I would guess that when you were young, you uh, oftentimes questioned either teachers or your professors, mm -hmm. and um, how that has um, grown into your life as a, you know, economics genius, basically. Well, I don't know about that. Um, and I, I appreciate the word proving, but in economics, it's much easier to prove a negative, and even then it's hard than to prove a positive. It's not physical science but you gotta be humble in that sense. I was not very popular with my teachers through high school and into college. And why was that? Uh, a little too much questioning, a little too obnoxiously. And what I've tried to do is create at the Peterson Institute, build on the founders' uh -huh. environment, that it's a lot of questioning of each other, but it's, it's mutual uh -huh. and nobody's bullying anybody. Karina, what else are you thinking? What does your wife say is the best thing about you? My wife, uh, at early stage uh, in our dating, said one of the things she liked about me was that I was very evidence-based. I was always ready, if not eager, to admit I was wrong. I was always willing to change my mind if I saw different things. And that both made me feel very good, but also convinced me I was marrying the right person. Wow. Wait, 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 why? Because uh, as she and I joke, we both use numlock. She came from a research background. She was involved in politics. But it wasn't just nerdiness. It was the idea that you're humble before the evidence. You care about what's real and not what's theory. And that you don't put your ego in front of uh -huh. trying to understand. John, what are you thinking? So you said earlier you were a history buff as a kid. What uh, history lesson do you worry that we're repeating? Well, I, the obvious one is the 1930s, that when people get very nationalist, or I would say nativist, distrusting people who don't look like them or don't come from the same background, and that starts to influence how you view the world, both economically and securely. And a lot of countries around the world right now are doing that, and that led to very bad things in the 1930s. So you're a student of history for the purpose of studying history? No, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a bad term now to call somebody a social engineer, but I'm much more an engineer than a scientist. I'm all about what would work and what's practical. So you like thinking about what will work and what's practical. I try. I'm not very handy in the physical world, but in the policy world, I used to work for central banks like the Federal Reserve, and a lot of my colleagues have done similar things, and so we tend to be pretty hands-on in that sense. What's the, what's the website address for the Peterson Institute for International Economics? P-I-I-E.com. Let me have that one more time. P-I-I-E.com. We've been speaking with Adam Posen, president of the Peterson Institute for International Economics here on Executive Leaders Radio. Be back in a moment right after this break. 
And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm -hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm -hmm. because of our size, mm -hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm -hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What, what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm -hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm -hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in 2014 mm -hmm. with the new, uh, new ownership, we've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, uh, we're involved with branding, mm -hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and uh, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events what's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. Uh, and what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Bostonbid. time. Bostonbid.com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight. Back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, 
We may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Jeff Gallagher. Jeff's the CEO of the Virginia Biotechnology Association. Jeff, what is the Virginia Biotechnology Association? Yeah, it's a trade association or the community of the companies and research institutions that do life science, R&D, and commercialization in Virginia. Wow. Where are you from originally? Cleveland, Ohio. All right. Now, you're from Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Older sister, younger sister. So you're the middle of three. Now, I have down here, you're the CEO of the Virginia Biotechnology Association, which I'm sure is very important to the state. Secondarily, I understand you were president of your class when you were in school, and also you went to Harvard and you're an attorney. But I want to know what happened in ninth grade to set the stage for all this stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, uh, I got caught. What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, I got caught dumbing down all my answers on my tests and questions so that I would fail so that I could be in with a group that I thought was the important group to be in. Tell us a little bit more about what group you wanted to get in with and what you did to get in with them. I was, I just transferred schools um, and uh, I was desperate to be accepted and it was a sort of sports and tough group I wanted to be in with. A lot of nice kids acting out uh, and I just wanted to be with them. They were getting all the attention. And um, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't really be a good student and be in that group. So I, I tanked. A fantastic uh, woman who was my English teacher uh, brought my parents in one night. I didn't know what was coming, and boom, you know, the boom was lowered. Um, I was shocked. I was embarrassed. I was also supported lovingly by my folks after I got whacked. Mm -hmm. And um, it just made me, it just changed things. It made me realize that I was pursuing something outside of me. And what I needed to do was think about the things I really thought were valuable and I cared about and pursue those instead. Karina? Would you say that you thought that your academic proficiencies was valuable and that's why you sacrificed it? Why were you embarrassed of it? Um, at, the, at that moment, I thought it was in the way of something I wanted more. I then realized that what you have to do is you have to be the best that you can be. You know, um, we... Uh, it, People are all different. We just, we're, the, the hope is that we all bloom mm -hmm. to be the best Jeff, the best gotcha. Richard? Karina that we possibly can Richard? be. Uh, Jeff, you, you went to Catholic school at a young age. You were an altar boy. You speak with beautiful spiritual eloquence. So it clearly has a dramatic impact on you as an adult. Are there challenges for you uh, with that and your biotech work? And if so, how do you handle them? Yeah, no, no challenges. Um, I mean, I see it as completely uh, complementary. What, what do you see as complementary? Well, my faith. So, what my faith brings to it is that there's a significance behind what we see and what we measure and feel. What are you and talking about? And my job what? as a leader uh -huh. in the biotechnology industry yeah. is to help individuals, you know, really appreciate the significance of what they're trying to do, uh, bringing healing and feeding and fueling the world. So you're, you're seeing your faith as part of what you do as a career, as part of your business? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, so what I, to, to bring the best, to help folks bloom, to help creation come to what it wants to be. And the other is service. Service, service. what are you talking about? I think we're all put here to serve one another. Mm -hmm. John, um, what are you thinking? So, yeah, tell us more about how we're put here to serve one another. How does that show up in your biotech work? Yeah. Our motto is we help every company succeed. We try, we, we aspire to help every company succeed and to help the industry thrive. If we do that, we'll find the cures, we'll have better health, we'll have a greener planet. Um, that's what we're after. Mark, what do you think of? 
you shared before you had a, a favorite quote along those lines. Could you uh, share that again? Yeah, this was on the, you know, this was taped on the refrigerator back when I was growing up, and it's a little three-panel um, cartoon. The first one is a guy is dejected, walking down the street, hands in his pocket. Oh, there's so much uh, mayhem. There's so much pain. There's so much everything in the world. And then the second panel, he looks up towards heaven. He says, God, why don't you do something about it? And then the last panel is the voice from the cloud says, well, I did. I made you. And why is that so? Why does that affect you? How's that affect you? What's that? So, why is that so important to you? It reminds me of you know that we all have a opportunity, an obligation, a deep obligation, an opportunity to serve, and that when we see things that could be better, you know, if we have insights, if we put things together and get visions of things that could be better, if we see people who are struggling and know there's a connection I could make that would help them not struggle, then. We're asked to do that. We're not only at, we're empowered to do that. That's something we should do. And that, that's that sense of leadership that I grew into from that, from that point to, yeah, Richard? someone's got to do it, you do it. So, Jeff, here in the district, Maryland, Virginia, area, while the biotech area is growing, there's also a lot of internal conflict. Are you able to use those skills to help mend some of those fences amongst the different districts? Honestly, I think people are thirsty for leadership that transcends old borders. And if you just get the courage to um, stand up for it, do your homework, articulate it, bring some people together, people are dying to work together. So as opposed to feeling conflict, you just, you just, you just seems to me you just keep on building the team, building the team, building the team. You know, um, say state-based economic development officials, and I do a lot in this area to build up the whole industry, tend to look at the other side of the river, other side of the district as competitors. I see them as strategic uh, advantages. So many a company in, uh, in Virginia or in Maryland or in D.C., we've linked with others, and it's, wow, this is fantastic. You know, we're in, a, we're in a competition against the globe. We're in a competition against disease. We're in a competition against the world we're out of resources. Any help we can get for these people to achieve their really significant, meaningful missions and objectives. Let's do it. Steven? You know, Jeff, it seems like from the way you're describing things that your life basically had a very clear path for most of the way. But I'm curious, um, you know, you were a corporate lawyer in a law firm in Richmond, and you seem to be a risk taker in my book. I mean, didn't you give it all up to uh, join a client and start a business? I did. Um, 20 years ago, I gave it up to start a small specialty pharma company, and that really uh, took me to another level of discovery of who I am well, in Blooming. Let me, uh, let me ask but you even before what, that, what, what is the uh, 10 years before. Time. What is the website address of the organization? It's um, vabio.org, mm -hmm. V-A-B-I-O.org. John, can you give us a rundown of who we've had the opportunity of speaking with today? Yes, we spoke to Matt Wixon, president of Bookstore Movers. Then we talked to Nick Gehrig co-managing partner of Redmond, Payton, and Braswell. Our third guest was Adam Posen, president of Peterson Institute for International Economics. And our last guest was Jeff Gallagher, CEO of the Virginia Biotechnology Association. I'd like to thank my co-host, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Steve Robbins, Lurch, Early & Brewer, Richard Levick, Levick Communications, Karina Bedour, Colliers, and John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching, for giving me hands structuring the questions. Hope you're providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. And have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.